0: Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast. I'm Floyd Hall. Keisha Lance Bottoms is the 60th mayor of the city of Atlanta. And in this conversation, I chat with Mayor Bottoms about Atlanta's legacy as a destination city, what she learned from Douglas High School and Florida A&M University, and how she navigates leading the city while also balancing public and private life.
1: Mayor Bottoms, just starting back earlier in your life, um, when was your earliest understanding of who the mayor of Atlanta was and what his or her responsibility was to the residents of Atlanta?
2: I remember um, I was pretty young because I remember being in my bedroom in our home in Collier Heights. And I remember seeing something on television about Maynard Jackson. And that was when I, I, that's my first memory of a mayor in the city. So we moved from that home when I was seven. So sometime between the ages of probably three and seven, um, and, and I'm just kind of doing the numbers in my head. I was born in 1970 and he was born, and I think he was elected or sworn in in 73. Um, and I I just remember uh, watching the television with my dad, and I don't remember if anything was said, but I just remember being proud of it. And, you know, you've asked this question. This is something I've never had to articulate, so that's why I may struggle a bit for words, but I don't remember any context before that, Um, that it would make me proud, but I remember him being something important and something important to our city. And I just remember being proud of that. And I don't know, perhaps my dad was having a a proud moment, but I I remember the feeling and I remember seeing him on television.
1: Fast forward to now um, and understanding all of the, the, the mayor's sense uh, Mayor Jackson and even before, um, how do you see yourself on that continuum of Atlanta mayors? And I guess, do you draw any perspective or insights or even inspiration from those previous administrations?
2: Certainly, Atlanta has has always been this beacon of light and hope for so many across the country. And so much has ha- of that has had to do with the leadership that we've had in the city throughout my lifetime, um, as, as far back as I can remember, at least, there were nothing but African-American mayors in our city. Um, and with that has, has come this enormous amount of pride, but also responsibility. And when you look at the legacies of so many of our mayors, they helped boost the middle class in our city and across this country by giving people an opportunity to access businesses, to access business and be a part of businesses in a way that we had never seen before. And with each mayor, there is this additional responsibility uh, to make our city better. So it's interesting when Maynard Jackson was elected and I, I was reading uh, his biography, um, and what struck me is there was a whole discussion about affordable housing in the city. So, it's really interesting as as, as mayor in 2020 that that's still a very big discussion. There were, uh, you know, discussions surrounding equity and, and access, and I don't know what the word equity was used, but certainly access and the ability to, to even the playing field Those are all things that we are still working towards achieving in 2020, and so um, because we've had such strong mayors in this city, it's been an opportunity to build upon their legacies and the work that they've done, but also this challenge to expand that work and make it relevant to where we are today and the needs needs and wants of our communities today.
1: Now, you mentioned the word legacy, and we've mentioned that word um, a few different times on this podcast. Um, I think Atlanta has such a strong, you know, tie to the past. But also, I think Atlanta as a city is always renewing itself. Um, There's always new energy in the city. There's always a new wave of folks coming to Atlanta. And maybe not even from your, you know, position as, as mayor, just as your position as an Atlanta native, um, what is your opinion of, you know, that Atlanta culture? And I guess what has made Atlanta so unique of a destination and um, place of interest over the past 40 years?
2: Well, what's made it unique is this very large African-American community that is viewed as as being successful um, across the country in ways that you often don't see African-Americans achieve um, whether it be through business or or politics or any number of fields, you don't often see that that level of achievement in such on such a large scale in other cities um That being said it, it there's also this huge challenge of inequity that we have in this city. Atlanta has one of the largest income gaps in in any city in america inequality gaps of any city in America. Um, and so on this one side of, of, of the scale, we have African-Americans who are college educated um, and by and large are deemed as successful professionally. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we still have a very large community that's still struggling uh, with the basic needs of education and, and access to, to job training and to a livable wage. And it is, uh, you know, Atlanta in so many ways, is this is tale of two cities. So it's, I think this challenge that we have in this city, and one, is, is who we are and who we want people to think that we are. Um, I think we've done pretty good on who we want people to think that we are, uh, but there's a whole lot more work we got to do on actually who we are. And making sure that we are fulfilling uh, all of the hopes and dreams of, of not just the mayors who come before us, um, but the civil rights leaders and, and and so many others who work to build this city.
1: Now, Mayor Bottoms, as a leader, um, so many of um, our past leaders and current leaders, they're oftentimes judged by the decisions that they make. When you have to make really tough decisions, uh, what principles or lessons or memories help inform your decision-making process?
2: For me, it's just a recognition that you, what my Angelou said, you, you did then what you knew to do, and when you know better, you do better. So my goal is to always be able to, go, to sleep well at night. And I take whatever I have before me. Um, and And sometimes it means that I have an opportunity to linger on something and and think long and hard and toss it around and come back to it and other times you have to make decisions literally within minutes and i i i pray over those decisions i i pray for wisdom and i make the best decisions that i know to make um and i also recognize that it's not easy being a leader and that there will be decisions I will make that somebody's not going to be happy about, and I may be judged very harshly about, but as long as I can sleep at night and I can, I, I, I know that I've made the best decision that I know to make, Um, that, that really is my litmus test. And what I found, um, decisions that I come to regret are decisions that I was never comfortable when I made them to begin with.
1: Now, you're still in your first term as mayor. And so I'm wondering, as you think back to, you know, a couple of years ago, um, a few years ago, actually, um, what issue or priority was important to you when you first took office that you have not addressed yet, or at least have not addressed to your satisfaction?
2: The one that I still feel there's a lot of work to be done um is on the inequality gap, and we're making progress, but something that I asked my team well when we were in the office, I would ask it weekly uh, to them in person, what are we doing for poor black people in this city um We're doing stuff with affordable housing hitting some really big marks on that Uh, we're right where we thought we would be in terms of those goals Uh, we're moving the needle on criminal justice reform in a meaningful way even with police reform that's moving very quickly Uh, but when i and, and lgbtq affairs i mean i can go off in the list of all the things we're getting right but when i ask the question what are we doing for poor black people in atlanta I'm still not satisfied that we're doing enough yet.
1: Going back to this notion of legacy, um, and I have a lot of uh, friends who are uh, graduates of uh, Frederick Douglass High School. I have a lot of friends who are graduates of Florida A&M University. And I couldn't have this time with you without asking you about the legacies of Douglas High School and FAMU. Um, and would love for you to maybe think back to that time of your life Can you point back to one or two favorite memories or character-building moments that relate to your time in high school and college?
2: Douglas was such a wonderful experience for me, and I I literally came of age there. I started Douglas when I was 12 because then, back then high school started in eighth grade. And I graduated at 17, so if you can imagine a, a child changes quite a bit from 12 to 17. Uh, you know, you you were you were challenged socially, mentally, emotionally, um, scholastically. Uh, so there were I, I can't even give you one moment. There were so many moments at Douglas, but my biggest takeaway from Douglas in hindsight is the confidence that I received there, because surrounding me were 2,500, 3,000 other African-American students, a building full of teachers and and faculty and staff who looked just like me. Uh, so that part, the, the conversation of race and can you compete? And where you compete? And how you compete? And all of the challenges I, I see with young people today um, facing police brutality and and all of the other things we're talking about across this country. Those weren't things we had to worry about, uh, and and we were we were made to believe we were the best because we were the best it was our story and 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 we could achieve anything that we wanted to achieve because nobody told us we couldn't um famu was just building upon that it was a very different experience to me a much larger environment at that time famu was the largest one of if not the largest hbcu in the country at that time. So you were dealing with people from different cities, but again, um, so many moments. Uh, One that that I I recall quite a bit is having an eight o'clock journalism class and thinking I could get by with not reading the newspaper before that class from beginning to end. And we would have a current events quiz and I kept failing the quizzes because I wasn't reading the newspaper every morning before class. And I remember um, there were a lot of upper class in that class, I was maybe a sophomore. Um, and, and, and they were very focused and, and getting ready for their careers and, and I was still playing around. And at some point I, I got it together and my professor called me into his office, Professor Wilson, and that semester, I had A's in all of my other classes except for that class. And he said, I think you've gotten a lesson. And I will give you an A, uh, but I'm concerned that, that you you won't remember this lesson if I give you this A. He said, but the choice is yours. yours. And I told him I would take the B because I wanted to remember that lesson, too, so I guess at some point during the semester, I matured um, enough to know that it was going to be important for me to take with life, in life that I couldn't expect for people who give something to me that I was going to have to work for it. And when you didn't work for it, then you fail. So that is my, you know, so many other moments, pledging, and all these other other things that happened at BMU. But that is was probably the lesson that I, I carried with me that I think about quite a bit. That's the beauty of HBCU. You have a professor who calls you into his office who cares whether or not you're getting a lesson to take with you for the rest of your life.
1: When are you at your best? As, as a, a mayor, as, as a mom, when are you at your best? Uh,
2: before noon. Before noon, I feel like I can take on the world. I'm just, I'm, I'm at my, I'm a morning person, and I feel like, at, you know, in church you hear God gives you brand new mercies every day. So I'm, I'm at my best in the morning when I can think clearly, when I can make decisions not based on the noise and and the busyness of the day. Um, and then just when I have have my family on one accord, and when when my team is rocking and rolling and everybody's doing what they need to do, because as mayor, I I have one job, it's as mayor, but there's a whole team that works alongside me that has they have to do what they do best to allow me to be mayor. So that's when I'm at my best. And, you know, the joke in the office, if you want the quickest way to get a no is to come and talk to me after six o'clock.
1: Thinking to, I guess, how you move in the world. Um, as the mayor of Atlanta, there are a lot of people who look to you, who respond to you, and who are sort of jockeying for your attention. I guess, how do you manage public and private life? I think that in the age of social media, you may be experiencing a different level of engagement um, that other mayors of Atlanta have not had to deal with. Um, So how do you balance sharing yourself with the city and the public at large while also maintaining some sense of normalcy at home and with your loved ones?
2: It's a challenge. And I'm an an introvert who masks as an extrovert. I am most comfortable at home reading a book with just my family around. And it still surprises me often when I go out and people recognize me, um, especially wearing a mask or having a hat on or, you know, to have someone say, I recognize your voice. So it it still throws me off a bit. Um, But it really is more about balancing it for my kids and what they are comfortable with. Because, and, and they've gotten pretty smart. If something happens, they'll say, you know, and don't tell, don't go talking about it and don't put that on social media. Um, so I just, I, I try and be thoughtful about their privacy and, and what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. Um, but it, it's a balancing act. I am I mean, I'm getting more comfortable with it, but certainly everybody uh, feels entitled to to judge you and have a piece of you and expect to expect you to be at your best every time you walk out the door and the whole nine and and I remember there's one time um that I pushed back against somebody who wanted to take a picture and on this day, I was just completely worn out, and this woman kept coming up to me taking a picture, so she'd take the picture and then she'd go off and she'd come back and she didn't like the picture and she'd done this three or four times. So then I think it's the woman coming up to me again because she had on a red jacket Um, and it really crowded place where we're in. So I see this red jacket come back up and the woman's like, can I take a picture? And I looked at him like, didn't we just take three pictures? And then I realized it was a different woman. And I felt awful because I snapped at this woman, and it wasn't even the, the the same woman, and then I left this woman with a bad taste in her mouth. And just my lesson to that is, uh, you know, when you are a public figure, for a lot of people, they only get that one moment with you. It doesn't mean that you allow people to disrespect you, but it also means that you you got to have a whole bunch of patience. and. The best advice I've gotten was from Jerome Bettis. I saw him right after I had been elected. And I think he could look at my face and tell that I was pretty overwhelmed. And he said, I said, he says a lot, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. I said, how do you deal with this? He said, when you don't feel like being bothered, you don't come out. So I try and think. I think about that now. Even if I'm in the car with my husband and we go to the grocery store, if I'm in a cranky mood and and I can't give people my best, then I I just say, hey, I'm gonna stay in the car. So, you know, I I, I try and I I try and always be as, as pleasant as I can possibly. Be, But it, it does get to be a lot sometimes because I'm human, especially when I'm with my kids. The only thing that really gets under my skin is when people are rude to my kids and, and they try and push them out of the way to get their picture or, um, you know, if you're disrespectful to my husband, um, you know, and treat, treating him like he's he's just a, a do boy. <laughs> then that get that bothers me too so
1: just a quick follow up there um mayor bottoms how do you talk to your to your children about i guess the importance of what you do but also the the i guess the service that is expected of an elected official how do How do you talk to them about that i guess in a in a general sense and would you would you encourage them or how do you encourage them to at least think about public service as, as a part of their, I guess, um, futures, if you will?
2: No, I don't ever want them to feel the pressure to do what I do. Um, I want them to make their own decisions. With social media, my kids see just about everything. They see it before I see it. And the biggest conversation I have with them repeatedly is not to take it personally, and not to, you know, constantly telling them stay out of the comment section, don't get into fights with people on social media. Um, you know, people are they're bullies on social media, so don't let them bother you because they're not bothering me. That's you know that's the hardest part because they're kids and. That's what they do. They look at social media and they they follow conversations and posts and things like that. Um, And then just constantly reminding them that I'm okay. Brooke Jackson wrote the most beautiful heartfelt letters to my kids, just sharing with them what her experiences were as Maynard Jackson's daughter and, and the expectations um, and the acknowledgement of how difficult it can be. And I thought that was one of the most unselfish things that she could do. And I, I've asked her about it, too. I, Brooke and I are friends. I talked to her even before I ran on and talked to her about the toll that this might take on my kids. And, um, you know, it was good to be able to get her perspective as a as a child who's been through it.
1: Mayor Bottoms, thank you for your time. And as we wrap up, I wanted to give you a moment to uh, express any final thoughts on, you know, being mayor of Atlanta, the legacy of mayors in Atlanta, um, what that means to you, anything that we've covered in this conversation. I always like to give a chance to um, have any final words or any any final reflections. So I just wanted to kind of give you the space for that.
2: It's uh, an incredible amount of responsibility and I truly believe that uh, this is a job that will be appreciated probably after, you're, after I'm done with it. But that being said, I just hope that history is as kind to me as it's been to so many other mayors um, who've led this city. And my, my constant prayer is that God grants me the wisdom um, and continues to bless and keep our, our wonderful city.
0: legacy makers is an initiative led by central atlanta progress and the city of atlanta special thanks to our amazing partners atlanta downtown improvement district atlanta public schools constellations gene kansas commercial real estate the ivan allen college of liberal arts at georgia tech one atlanta and supporter report Atlanta Legacy Makers is hosted and produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Music by Smith and Cash. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta.